guests today who are lucky to have back on the Prog Report for a second time is of course the lead guitarist from legendary group Genesis, who's also a successful solo artist, musician, composer, and one of the best guitarists of all time. I'd like to welcome back Steve Hackett. Steve, how are you doing? Fine, fine, fine. Very good. How are you doing? I'm great. Great to speak with you again, man. Um, I'm sure you, you don't remember. You do a lot. You do a lot of interviews. Thank you, Roy. No, it's great. I do remember. Thank you very much. Oh, that's great. You know, last time we spoke was uh, a little bit over a year and a half ago. Sure. And you were, uh, I guess, on a break from the Genesis Revisited tour and, and working right. on the new album, Wolf Flight, which I want to touch base on, of course. I wanted to uh, just ask you a little bit about the tour. And, and now, I guess it's officially over. Are you done with touring? Uh, yeah, I'm done with touring. I've just got, um, I've got some South American dates uh, coming up uh, from the 6th to the 16th of uh, March, and then, um, you know, then we're then we're uh, off for a bit until until September. Really, I I might have some festivals in the summer, but um, but in the main, I'm going to be moving into a new house and um, I'm building a new studio. Oh, that's exciting. You know, the tour was a good, I guess, two years or so, right? And um, Yes. Uh, I mean, it seemed like you kept adding dates, and uh, yes. it, it took on this, this expanded lifespan. Uh, yes. Were you surprised at how receptive people were all over the world and, and the enormous success of it? It's been uh, terrific, you know, uh, and I realized that I could have had a job for life doing that. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought great to bring back the genesis dream but I, I wanted people to realize that i was interested in new music as well and, and other collaborations and mixing genres and um and and doing that in tandem so it was important not to just be a curator in a, in a museum of my own making you know <laughs> part of what i do is wearing the curator's cap but right. um and and loving it you know loving bringing that stuff back um to people to the disenfranchised Genesis fans who feel that the, that the band fulfilled perhaps its quota in one in one way, but but not its early promise in terms of of, of what it could have been uh, creatively if you took the more weird and wonderful and perhaps less uh, media friendly aspects of, of what it was all about. Where I suspect you know the early ethos might have paralleled Pink Floyd a little more, where it was atmosphere was paramount. And uh, and telling stories as well. Yeah. Um, so I think you know something was gained as the band gained ground and uh, production became more slick. No doubt about that. Popularity went through the roof. But but when people look back at Genesis now, um, uh, it's the the early albums that um, seem to outpace the, the later ones in terms of of sales. So it really does seem that there's a difference between uh, the stuff that was done as a five man team. Yeah. And uh, I'm very proud to have been part of that. You know, it was a great band in all its incarnations. So I'm trying to be fair here and, sure. and dip diplomatic, but at yeah. the same time, I feel as though I'm blowing uh, 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 my own trumpet slightly here. For well, you know, you're, I, yeah, I, I told think, you so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're you're certainly entitled, and and you had a lot uh, a lot to do with the. Uh, the sound and the and the success of those early records and part of listening to the new album which um, is uh, Wolf Flight which is due uh, I guess uh, you have March 30th in Europe and April 7th here in the in the US that's right um, yeah Part of what I, I was listening to it, I've rediscovered a little bit is that uh, even a song like Wolf Flight seems yeah. to have 
that throwback Genesis, you know, style to it, which, um, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sort of feels like as every member went their separate ways and did their own thing, yeah. you can sort of hear, okay, uh, Steve Hackett's con- contribution was this, and I can hear that, and Peter Gabriel's contribution was this, and you, if you sort of take everybody's solo work and combine it, you sort of can see where Genesis came from. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think um, I think you're absolutely right, and and uh, there there is the influence of early Genesis on it, and um, um, sales, pre-sales have already gone through the roof for this thing, and um, and so that's wonderful because it's a vindication, I think, of some of those um, early ideas and and the ethos of the band at the time, where um, to be broad-based in the writing was terribly important. That 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 mixture of, of of styles, um, the kind of complementary collisions that um, was really part of it in in in, in those days, and um, of course these days I, I'm I'm not constrained by by group politics. So um, if I want to have a symphony orchestra arrive halfway through something uh, just for a few bars, I can do that. Um, that's uh, partly due to uh, uh, technology and. Um, and the bloody-mindedness of my part, and and some and some really gifted players who play the actual instruments. So um, you know the combination of all of the all of all of that um, means I can indulge uh, the ideas that um, I was dreaming about when I first joined the band, but that had uh, uh, no way of being able to implement implement that. So it's yeah. actually quite a small team that's made um, uh, uh, Wolf Light, but it sounds like an enormous team. Well, that's certainly something that I wanted to touch base on because sure. really the album sounds like a full-blown orchestra soundtrack to a big movie, you know, type of. If you can listen to it on a loud stereo, it's impressive. And yeah, it's got it's got that sort of cinematic quality to it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's because of of the use of the orchestral perspectives, where um, you know basses have been doubled by uh, orchestral basses and. Um, um, I've got some uh, glorious bass playing, funnily enough, from um, uh, Nick Beggs and Chris Squire. On um, Chris Squire is, is on a love song to a vampire. Oh, it's a great uh, song. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And um, so you know, it's been great. I've managed to work on some extraordinary um, things with other people um, in in recent times, and I and and it, it means that that you know people have have, have come to me because I've done. You know, favors for them, and um, uh, we tore up the checkbook long ago. Um, <laughs> you know, we we just do favors uh, uh, for each other, and um, uh, I'm I'm open to doing that. You know, with anyone I've collaborated with in the past, I'm 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 up for doing that. You know, if 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 the schedule will permit it, I'll I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, you did. Uh, you did some work on the Dave Kersner solo album, which yes. which I heard, and that yeah. that was yeah. uh, amazing stuff as well. Yes, that that sounds very interesting. I think you know production work that he's done with Tom Lord Algie has been tremendous on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you do all the orchestration yourself? I know you. I know you can, but for an well, album like this, do you? What What Roger King and I do. Uh, Roger engineers it and um, he programs it. Uh, we sit down and work out every note between us. Um, um, I'll have a sketch, a rough idea of what it's going to do, but but um, you know the divisions of 
um, just how many violas and violins we're going to have, all of that um, is really an ongoing conversation and negotiation between us. <laughs> so how big is an orchestra for, for an album like this that you use? Well, I'll tell you, the orchestra actually is, um, in terms of conventional orchestral instruments, um, it's uh, the violin is is Christine Townsend, um, and she also plays viola, so we track her up. Um, and we use samples as well, so it's a combination of the two together, and we use an extensive string library, including the very early uh, Mellotron um, strings as well, so that's that's all part of it. Mm. And um, um, I was intending to use more people, uh, but there are time constraints, and um, I'm very pleased with the way the orchestral moments work. Um, that's uh, that's I, impressive, yeah. Yeah, and um, it, it's wonderful the way the way that it works these days, where um, you've got the sound of a symphony orchestra, you've got the weight of a symphony orchestra, but um, the controllability of working with um, a very small team, and um, it means that we can get each part absolutely in time and in tune, and so you get the precision uh, with that. But I guess it's having the imagination, isn't it? First of yeah. all, um, I've worked I've worked with orchestras, and I love working with them. And ideally, we we'd have a symphony orchestra in e- each time. Uh, but um, um, at the end of the day, I think um, it often sounds um, as cinematic, even though we're using a fraction. Um, but but our orchestra really, you know, includes a team that that's got um, world music musicians as well, like uh, Malik Mansurov from Azerbaijan, uh, playing the tar, the T A R, um, which is um, really the forerunner of the guitar and the the, the, the sitar. It's part of the same family, basically. Um, uh, he's from Azerbaijan and. Um, it's like working with a guy who's, I would say, it's a bit like working with someone who's got the capability of Ravi Shankar meets John McLaughlin. He's a tremendous virtuoso on this instrument, but he just manages to play in an absolutely magical kind of way. Ooh, uh, Duduk, we've used that from Armenia, uh, and Rob Townsend was playing that, who normally plays just sax with us and whistles and flutes. Uh, okay. But he took to it like a deduct to water um, you know he's just great on the things straight out of the box he's <laughs> fab- fabulous on it um, I used some Arabian Ud as well fretless lute on the, the thing and uh, managed a few phrases on it it's very difficult to tune and play when it's unfamiliar spacing and tuning pegs and uh, but that that was a, a, a great sound just just to get a couple of convincing phrases on it was was enough for me so it's one of the many vignettes that appear on the album. Um, I don't think any genre outstays its welcome. Uh, in the main, the, the solos are quite short. Um, and all this genre hopping, um, mixing styles, doing the pan-genre thing, means that, you know, you're not out... No one instrument is outstaying its welcome. So I'm, I'm hoping to make it... Um, um, accessible, but also to have those the influence of those things on the periphery, those world music things that you might think are not part of the mainstream, um, but no reason why they shouldn't be really because right. um, film has is, has been way ahead of us, isn't it, in recent times um, with all of that so much eth- ethnicity, if that's the right word, um, 
so I don't I don't see any any contradiction there between something which is a commercial success and um, and at the same time can be as esoteric as you and experimental as, as as you want to be. I think it's no longer a dirty word. That's that's the nice thing. No, I, I think uh, especially being an artist that they uh, people expect you to sort of stretch boundaries and and take some chances and not worry about do I need a hit or whatever the case is, right. um, yeah. they, it, people will take to it and they, they uh, cherish that actually probably yeah. more. I think so. I think it, um, it, it's a time to uh, to stand up and be counted and, and not give in to commercial pressures that, that are constraining musicians tremendously because we've got all this fabulous technology out there and, and players with fabulous techniques. Um, if you just fuse the two... Um, my God, the, the the sky's the limit. Yeah. Um, so the only limitation is is in is in the imagination. I think. Um, let's face it, we're no longer in a time like we were in the, in the 1980s, where um, uh, musical styles were being di- dictated by um, conglomerates um, plainly because albums are selling less in the first place. Um, and hits are selling, you know, a fraction of, of, of the numbers that they were at one time. Um, it seems as if uh, the music has been given back to musicians once more. Right. So you know, you might as well just, you know, be honest. Honesty and um, and authenticity um, is, I think, what's what's really gonna gonna get through. And and I think also, um, if you can make the packaging as as um, personal as possible um, and that also makes a difference um, so I, I try and release in as many different formats as possible as well because um, many people um, are discovering vinyl for the first time mm-hmm. as a whole new audience for vinyl what do you think about vinyl but versus you know digital sound and and that sort of thing um, the reason I release in all formats is to um, it's to not deny lovers of vinyl the chance to hear it that way. Um, some things sound great on vinyl. Um, what you gain on vinyl is extra compression and distortion, which is great for some things. Um, it's not, not wonderful for everything because uh, obviously something super clean um, uh, in the digital domain um, interrupts the flow less when you're taking it right down to a whisper. But um, I think that rock music can be pretty durable. I mean, it survived vinyl for for many years, and um, we try to address all all these possibilities. So it, it goes out on CD. It'll be, it'll be on vinyl. It'll be in surround. It'll be out there on MP3. If if somebody said, "Oh, we're bringing back 78s," <laughs> uh, we'll release it in 78 and Blu-ray. We'll do the whole thing. Surround sound I find very exciting. Some of my early stuff is um, being remixed in surround sound, and um, I really uh, enjoy that. That, that um, but well, particularly the new album, Wolflight in surround, is um, is even more cinematic as you might expect. Yeah, um, that's probably awesome. That's that must be great to hear. It yeah. does sound really, you know, um, something where you you can hear the extra the extra detail in it um and um it's a it's an extraordinary thing uh, it's an extraordinary experience 
I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know some of the tracks and sort of the the concept behind the album. So, what is the overall concept behind the songs? And uh, and uh, I guess we could start with the main track, uh, Wolf Light. In terms of where the title Wolf Light comes from, um, it's really from Homer. I think is the the earliest earliest quote uh, that we've managed to dig up. Um, it's from the Odyssey. He talks about Odysseus waking up in the wolf light. I mean, he's talking about the hour before the dawn, just as the light is starting to change. It's still dark, but it's gone to an inky, an inky blue. Um, really, there's quite a lot of celebration of, of, of the ancestors um, on, on the title track, the idea of the tribes that we came from. and um, It's like a kind of travelogue, but, but back in time. So the music roams through many genres as the nomadic tribes did at one time before they got to make up um, villages, towns, uh, countries. So much of the album is is really about that, um, uh, particularly the idea of ancient people and um, the idea of the wolf as totem, um, man's best friend is is the dog, is, is, is the modern adage, isn't it? But um, actually... The ancestors of the dogs are the wolves, and wolves have been common to some of the areas that we've been writing about, like, for instance, Carikian Fire um, is about the Carikian Cave on the slopes of Mount Parnassus, and um, the village nearby was called Lycoria, or the town, rather, and um, they also have a legend where uh, it's the equivalent of the Noah the Noah story, that it was the wolves that led them to take ground from the from the flood so, so they have their their version of the flood there so there's quite a lot of kind of archaeology that, that goes on with, uh, with this stuff um researching ideas uh, for lyrics and of course um delphi the Carician cave it's the place where divination first took place before the the the, the site of delphi was sacked by the early christians the, the temple of apollo and um um but the cave is actually still there where divination first took place and, and it's an amazing looking place um so curriculum fire is really about that place that was known variously as the curriculum cave um it was known as pan's cave and dionysus cave um so it's, it's bound up with mythology and um it's where the ancient greeks thought that quite literally the underworld begins here uh probably the spookiest place on earth you could possibly <laughs> ever visit and uh, I thoroughly recommend that you do um, because it's the most uh, extraordinary interior you could ever ever uh, visit. Is that where a lot of the influence of other instruments and the different genres and styles, does that come from all of your traveling? Because I know you do yeah. a lot. Yeah, there, there's a lot of that. As I say, you know, the travelogue aspect is, is has been an important part of it. So we've used, uh, as I say, the tar, the duduk, the Arabian Ud, uh, the didgeridoo. Um, uh, many of these things have been um, recorded in, in, in other places or written in other places, um, such as Hungary. And of course, I've, I've been traveling, living out of a suitcase for the past uh, two years now. So um, um, it does affect what, what you do. Um, um, I think the mind's eye works like a camera and, and, and a tape recorder. And of course, Joan, my, my wife Jo, loves to um, love to write as well. And we write together. And Jo's written um, books on things as variously as, as um, um, historical themes and, and psychological themes. So um, 
uh yes we you know we we um we love to travel and see things and uh explore places uh, um such as mexico we we were um visiting um uh, various uh, parts there um cozumel and um looking at ruins and um there was one day we um on a couple of visits to mexico we were in um uh, a lagoon uh, with mangroves and rich in, 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 in nature and uh, just one of those perfect days on an open boat like a Boston whaler with just an outboard motor and nothing else and and um, the, the tour guide said um, oh in a moment you will see dolphins in a moment you'll see uh, turtles and I thought yeah yeah but you can't dial them up and, but then sure enough there they were right there and performing as if to order and um, the song just just sprang into my head at that time I thought you know it needs to be one of those um, sunny Californian Mexican sounding things you know it's just got to have that that feel feel about it so um, um, all all these places affect the album one of the songs that I, I really like a lot also is a love song to a vampire right Whatever. Yeah, it seems to be yeah, love song to a vampire. It's been attracting quite a lot of attention. That one, yeah. Yeah, I would do, tell me about how that song came to be. Well, it's rapidly becoming the favorite song. A lot of people are asking for it and asking that if I do it live, and uh, I certainly think that we will. Um, it's it's got a strange progeny in history. That one um, originally it was going to be a blues tune. Wow. Um, I think the, the lyrics really came first, and. Um, um, I just didn't think that I could uh, do it justice um, in in that in that style, uh, and and eventually I thought it's got to be more gothic. So we took on influences as varied as some flamenco stuff, and and of course you know um, the fact that Paco de Lucia uh, passed in recent times. Um, I was thinking of his sound and the way that he plays and. And as I was doing that, I chipped a nail, and then suddenly it started to get that um, really spiky kind of flamenco sound to it. Um, um, so we used that as a kind of intro, um, um, and just the echo of something that sounded like a mandolin. So that was electric guitar impersonating a mandolin at the beginning. There's a sort of ghost of a mandolin, oh. really. And then uh, the flamenco introduction, and and then using the kind of uh, tremolando technique um, uh, um, as backing for the song that was influenced eventually by um, sort of a mixture of French chanson and um, and um, the Bellamy Brothers. I was thinking of their very heartfelt stuff, you know, lovely, rich voice stuff. And Chris Squire was in on the chorus with his big bass sound um, and Amanda Lehman singing on the chorus with me. Um, and then the influence of, of Grieg and, and Tchaikovsky, and um, there's a lot in that song, and they, they follow in very you know quick succession, particularly as as the ch- track starts to uh, continue on. So it's like a, a little kind of operetta in a way. Yeah, what I like right is that you sort of think the song is ending, and it has that rock part right at the end, which is like a yeah. nice change and, and very interesting, really cool. It goes up several notches as yeah. it as it, as it um, seems to meander and just go to sleep there's instead of the acceptance it's um it fights back with a vengeance i never asked you about the squacket uh album yeah. and is that a project that you might do a a follow-up to at any point 
Well, you know, Chris and I talk about that. And as I say, Chris is on this album. He's on uh, on Vampire, the track that you're talking about. And um, um, sounding wonderful. Um, I, I very much enjoyed working with Chris, and I hope we'll do some more in the future. Had a great time doing that, and that also sounds great in surround. There is a surround mix of that. So uh, it's another one of those things where um, I got to the point where I thought I've just got to do surrounds of these things from yeah. here on. So um, I guess you're taking this album on tour. I saw some dates already scheduled yes. for, for Europe. And um, yep. I guess you'll be playing more of your uh, solo stuff from your catalog and, and maybe throwing in some Genesis stuff. Would, will well, that be the I'm, thing? I'm doing, you know, it might be as much as 40% Genesis and 60% of mine. You know, I mean, it's a little bit flexible at this point. Um, agents and promoters have asked for the Genesis thing because we had such success with it. And right. um, I don't want to sort of... Um, I'm not throwing back the success in anyone's face, but as I say, uh, to not just be a, a curator of past, um, you know, exhibits, um, beautiful and wonderful, although those things are, um, I, I want um, people to realise that I'm still writing and I'm still, I'm still alive. I'm not, I'm not just going for the pension here. <laughs> uh, so. Um, yeah, it's it, it's lovely to have a foot in the past and an eye on the future, I think. Well, Steve, thank you again for for taking the time. I appreciate it as always, and I hope to see you on tour again. Marvelous. Um, well, thank you. Uh, we'll be back touring in the States towards the end of the year. So oh, that's fantastic. That's all, Can't wait for that. being booked as we speak. So, um, and the new album, again, is it, it might be my favorite album you've done. It's really oh, well, magnificent. Thank you. So. thank you. I'm glad you enjoy it. Thank you. All right. Good luck, thank Steve, you. and I wish Thanks you success with everything. Thank you very much. You too. Okay, all bye. the best. Bye-bye. I'd like to thank Steve for the interview. We're going to close with a track off of Wolf Light. This is The Wheels Turning. Please check theprogreport.com for upcoming news and interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget our podcast on iTunes. Thanks. Try to knock the lady out of bed